Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to, to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? What's new? Hi, Alan. Doing very well this evening. How are you? I'm doing well. Been f- paying close attention to the demonstrations in Israel. I, um, last week, we talked about your your participation or your attendance in the one in Jerusalem. Did you go again last night? I did. You know, I think that one of the reasons to attend any demonstration, I guess, is to be seen and heard, right? If it's a cause that you believe in, you want it to get public notice. And since this topic has not gone away, once you've gone once, you sort of feel like you're going to have to keep going until there's an impact. So yes, I did go. So I think that's a good point to make that this is the ninth week. Last night was the ninth demonstration across the country. The the unverified numbers are that there were about 400,000 people across the country that participated in some demonstrating demonstration in their city with numbers in Tel Aviv being 160,000 plus. I had an opportunity to view the speeches and some of the overhead shots through Times of Israel was broadcasting uh, Channel 12's coverage of it. Uh, I found it to be very interesting, although my Hebrew is not good enough to understand all of their speeches, but I did understand, you know, a good bulk of it. But I'm I'm curious to know what your experience in Jerusalem was like this week compared to last week. I would say a few things in terms of comparison. One, it's not, at least to me, from my small corner of the demonstration, not surprising that the overall numbers that they're reporting have grown significantly because it absolutely felt much more crowded. Um, like there were many more people this week than than the last week. Not that there weren't a lot of people last week, but this week even more so. And because the demonstrations take place week after week in the same place, you can kind of tell like if I was standing at this corner last week and it felt like this density of people and now I have to be back you know, a few more houses or uh, a few more streets, and it's equally crowded. You get the sense of how crowded it is overall. So that was one trend and change. Yeah. Was it in in the same location as last week? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, The center of the demonstration is in exactly the same place where the stage is set up, where the speakers are speaking from. Uh, where the police barricade is to sort of indicate that you have now entered the demonstration area, that's all in the same place. And within that, you know, you can tell sort of how far along the street, how close to the center you are before it's too crowded for your taste, whatever that might be. I don't know, maybe some people push their way all the way to the middle regardless. I I can't do that. Um, Another trend and change, I would say, And we did talk about this already last week, that there are a number of other issues and agendas that people are using the demonstrations to talk about, some of which are more closely and obviously linked to the the issues of judicial reform, and some, I would argue, not exactly 
mm, directly connected. But there seem to be even more and more of these topics. Um, so, so that's one trend, sort of people whose signs or t-shirts are bringing in other issues and other rights, things that they want to say to the establishment of Israel. Another trend is the different groups that are now choosing to protest or make themselves known as a group. So I had talked last week about a group that is very interested in women's rights and feels like perhaps those are being curtailed and they wear the costumes from the handmaid's tail. So last night there was, they were still there and, but there was also a very visible group of physicians, physicians for judicial reform. And they all had t-shirts and signs and you could see them as a group. There was another group, interestingly enough, of religious Zionists, not to be confused with the religious Zionists political party. These are people that specifically wanted to make it clear that they are not affiliating with that party, but they are individuals who consider themselves religious Zionists. And they wanted to say that as a group, they are not in, in favor of what the reforms that are happening right now with the judiciary. Um, so those are a few a few trends and differences just from one week to the next. I, I will share with you that one of the speakers I heard yesterday was former uh, Likud and Knesset member Limor Livnat, who called upon her colleagues from Likud to stand up and challenge the judicial reform. I'm not sure that that was heard by many people in terms of um, her colleagues in the Likud party, but she was pretty clear that as a member of Likud, this was not a good thing for moderate members of Likud, and that she called upon them to address that. Uh, it was interesting, a variety of speakers were very critical of how they've been interpreted by uh, Netanyahu and Smotrich and others about calling the demonstrators anarchists and terrorists. So that was a common theme that they were you know, really dis describing themselves as not that way, and that referring to uh, the political leaders who are saying these things, that they're actually the ones who are the anarchists. So very interesting. Yeah, I think as something which, you know, we can kind of imagine, and there are probably other examples of this, an issue may start as a seemingly pretty partisan issue, right? When something is small, um, it, often it's sort of clear, okay, you know, the, the right-wingers are going to like it and the left-wingers are not, or vice versa, depending on the subject. But even when things start that way, when the issue on the table becomes more and more heated or the uh, barrage of legislation that is being passed through becomes more and more sort of audacious, the the party lines get blurred, right? More people that were in the camp that originally was in favor of this may say, oh, wait a minute, I, I didn't mean to go quite that far. Right? And I think that's where we are. And to have somebody like Klimo Glivnat say, right, listen up Likudniks, this 
is not something that you should be standing behind is is a sign of that it's and and having uh, the religious zionists you know uh, individuals feel the need to have their voices heard as a group is also a sign of that that's a group that historically by and large is much more right-leaning um so i think it's they're you know both examples of of that shift of that shift from people saying you know, maybe I was okay with some of this. Maybe my party is okay with some of this, but at this point, no longer comfortable. So do you think that the demonstrations are having pressure or putting pressure on the coalition to slow things down? Because part of the debate has been, why rush through this? You know, let's really study this issue before we push through all the legislation. So do you think that the protests are having an impact? So I think you asked me a pretty similar question last week. I, I did. I did. I, <laughs> uh, Good memory. I'm not 100% sure what I answered, but I think I my answer would be pretty similar, which is, you know, putting pressure, yes, but will it at the end of the day have an impact? It's hard to know. It depends on how aggressive this current government wants to be with passing legislation while knowing full well and seeing that in terms of numbers, they're no longer, you know, in a clear consensus. Um, And it's hard to predict whether they want to be, you know, will want to be that kind of government. I, I think that the Times of Israel reported today that the coalition reached out to the opposition for talks and the opposition said, first, you know, halt the bills and then we'll talk. So again, it's the it's putting pressure on the legislative piece as well as the the opposition piece to move forward with some conversation by slowing down the process. I don't see that happening. Um, you know, from the sidelines of America, I don't see the coalition slowing down their initiative. Probably my my concern is, or it's my observation is that they kind of fear that if they slow it down, that they're not going to be able to fulfill their uh, their motives or their legislative agenda. Which might very well be true that they have those fears and that those fears are founded, which I don't think is how a government is meant to work, right? Even if you are the majority and you have a government that has the authority to pass laws, if you then come to see that many people, many thousands, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people are literally marching in the streets because they're unhappy with what you're doing, to say, oh, but we won the election, you know, four months ago, so therefore we can do this, doesn't really represent democratic values. Um, I, yeah, I would like to think that a government would not behave that way, would would want to listen. I understand that when you're elected, you know, that was a fair election and represented the will of the majority of the people. But that doesn't mean that every action that a government takes is going to be supported by the majority, right? That's when things like protests happen. 
Um, and it doesn't mean that a elected government doesn't have to keep listening. No, very good point. It also looks to the point of, is a, is the government a single entity or are there multiple components that make up the government? And I think that's one of the things that this judicial reform legislation is about. It's like condensing the power within the the coalition that has the power in the country rather than having a balance or as we say in America, checks and balance or the three part, the three uh, divisions of the legislative uh, scope of government. Um, you know, we have the we have the, the Congress, the president and the Supreme Court in America. And that's supposed to create a sense of of balance or checks and balance. So I have one comment that I want to just make um, share with you. And it's kind of an amateur demographic analysis. So okay. the numbers that we threw out at the beginning, 400,000 people demonstrating across the country. Now, Israel is a small country, and you can gather 400,000 people pretty easily in different cities. Uh, but a population of 9 million, I'm not sure how many of those 9 million are children or people that don't participate in the political world or sphere. So, but if you just take the, the whole numbers of 9 million in the 400,000, the percentage, you're, you're looking at about 4% of the country uh, that's, that's participating, 4 or 5% of the country that's participating. If you were to take that number of 4 to 5% in America of 330 million people, you're talking about demonstrations each week of anywhere from 10 to 15 million people across the country demonstrating. That would get quite a bit of media attention and it would probably share with political elected officials that they should be paying attention to what is happening on the streets. Do you think that that's uh, an example or comparison that's worth uh, noting? I do. I think, you know, as different as the two countries are, as different as the numbers are, and there's only so far you can extrapolate, I think it is reasonable to compare across the two and just think about, you know, what would that mean to have 10 to 15 million Americans protesting, standing outside of government offices, you know, for nine weeks in a row, it's almost unimaginable. I mean, you know, I, I can't think of any other topic, right? And there have been big demonstrations, of course, in the United States, right? We can think of movements, the the Million Man March, the Million Man March, it was one million, right? The uh, Black Lives Matter, and gosh, when were they wearing those little pink pussy cat hats, right? That was a whole, was that hashtag Me Too? I might be conflating different things. <laughs> there have been big, you know, demonstrations, in the United States that got a lot of press, right? That have taglines that we remember that we know that they happen. And I don't think those numbers were anything like 10 million people for nine weeks in a row. Um, so comparatively, I mean, this is, this is a pretty big percentage of the population, you know, making its voice heard. Say what you will about if Israel has more of a culture of demonstrating in general, or because it's a smaller country geographically, it's easier for people to get to the places where there are these centralized demonstrations. It's true. All of those things are fair. But think about what does it mean to have 5% of the four or 5% of the country out of their houses in the streets. I mean, that's significant. I, I remember several years ago, 
in in France there were protests and there were you know wearing yellow vests to you know, signify their their workers and the connection that they had and they, they were periodically you know meeting every week or gathering every week but I don't think again the numbers that we're seeing in Israel are compared to those in in uh, France although France I think there was a a, a truck driver component where they were blocking off the streets with trucks and slowing down traffic and stuff. I want to ask you a question. Again, we're both amateur political scientists, so uh, nobody's going to give us too much grief about this, but I believe that democracies around the world are being tested right now, similar to the way Israel is. Are people in Israel talking about other countries going through a process like this? Yes. I think um Israelis and particularly those that are involved in these demonstrations are very much aware that we have seen over the past decade around the world more and more democracies um, being more fragile than anybody ever thought they would be, right? Well-established democracies sort of sliding into less democratic democracies, into autocracy, into populist governments. Uh, and that is being talked about at the demonstrations, right? People are talking about Hungary. People are talking about Poland. Um, and, and these are changes that have happened not just in Europe. There are other places in the world where, you know, this is very much the case. The, you know, Poland, Hungary, Turkey happen to be geographically and culturally sort of closer to Israel. Um, but this is a trend and uh, it has it's visible at the protests in, you know, chants. We said last week, I think one of the chants had to do with Poland. There are, I saw signs last night that said the world is watching. Um, and I think that is related to the fact that we have seen change, major changes in other seemingly stable democracies. And therefore, people are going to pay attention to what's happening to this democracy. Very, very well said. I have to throw in a little bit of Jewish calendar into the demonstration. Last week, you made a comment about a, a poem or a chant that they referred to, um, the the Purim holiday of the three corners of the hat. Are you seeing any other Purim connection to the the dress of people or people in costumes or people uh, you know, giving away humantashen, I don't know, any connection to Purim, which starts, uh, people listen to this on Wednesday, we're recording on Sunday, so Purim starts tomorrow. But um, what, any connections again on Purim or other holidays? Uh, yes, I was given a brownie last night. It wasn't a humantashen, but it was delicious. I guess not directly Purim related, but it did happen. Um, definitely seeing more costumes. I saw in particular last night some sort of American founding father looking costumes with some signs with Thomas Jefferson quotes on them about the importance of people standing up when um, I forget the exact quote, but something about, you know, people needing to make their voices heard. Um, and uh, one cute thing that I saw. So for um is, you know, it was a very festive holiday, um, costumes and joking around and, and clowning around and things like that. And so there were two gentlemen who had planned their 
costumes slash acts and demonstration signs, I guess, together. And the one had a sign that um, said in Hebrew, but what would be checks and balances. In Hebrew, it's izunim vibalamim. Um, but so he had the checks and balances sign on a wooden stick, which he was then balancing like on his chin and on his nose and on his forehead, you know, like you see people do in a circus, right? So he was balancing it on his, on his chin, his sign of checks and balances. And his buddy was uh, on stilts and had a sign that said, um, again, in Hebrew, but the equivalent of democracy above all else, right? And he was up on stilts. So that was a pair that had chosen to take the sort of circusy theme of Forum and connect it to their demonstration posters in what I thought was a very smart, eye-catching way. Uh, that that's very clever, and I it's always good to have a visual reminder of why people are gathering. You mentioned barricades and police. What kind of presence did the police have, and were they uh, deterring people at all? I've heard that in Tel Aviv they've used water canyon cannons and. Uh, during the day of protest on Wednesday, there were stun stun grenades and tear gas and other things. So are you seeing a strong police presence and how are they acting? So definitely nothing of a deterrence level. Nobody was being turned away. Nobody was being questioned. Um, the And the police presence is really on the edges, right? It defines the border of the area that is enclosed as part of the demonstration area, right? So they're standing on the edge, sort of looking at people as they come in, but not asking you anything. And once you're inside, you don't see them anymore. I did feel like in addition to the police and medical first responder presence that had been there last week, that this week there was an additional level of also having members of the um, the border patrol unit of the army, which is often used when you have very big events. Like, I mean, you would see them stationed for, for a marathon. It's not unusual to have them for a public event, but I don't recall having seen them the prior week. Yonchan, my husband thinks I'm wrong, but I didn't notice them last week and I did notice them this week. So either I'm right, or I was just more attuned to it because I knew things had been getting a little more heated. Um, but again, you know, they're, they're, other than the few seconds when you walk past them, you don't feel that presence particularly. I guess it is good to know they're there in case we needed them for, for you know, to, to make protected. sure the situation stayed safe. Yeah, for protection. Um, but once, once you're inside, I, I didn't at least feel that presence at all. Were there any counter-protesters? No. I have yet to see or hear of any counter protesters for this movement at all. I could be wrong, but I haven't heard about it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but if there's a 10th week of protests, will you again attend uh, next week? I think once you're, once you're signed up, you're signed up. That's it. You got to keep the numbers up, right? To stop going would signal to the government that, okay, you've won. We've gotten too tired of this issue and now we're not paying attention and you can do whatever you want. And that's exactly the opposite of the message that this movement is trying to send. So 
you know, it's definitely not my favorite way to spend a Saturday night, but once, you know, once you're going, I guess you keep going. And, and it's springtime, so the weather is nice. It's not raining. Um, it's not raining. It was considerably warmer this week than last week. And presumably it'll keep going in that direction because, yes, once you hit March in Israel, it's officially springtime. Uh, a couple of more questions about the the attendance. Did your daughter Gila go with you again this time? She did. We I didn't think she was going to want to go again, but she said she did want to go again. She demanded ice cream on the way home, so maybe that was <laughs> her plan. <laughs> maybe that was her plan all along. Ulterior motives. But she did come. Yes, she said that she was going to make a poster instead of asking for three branches. She was going to insist on three toppings on her ice cream that she wanted. That's, that's clever. <laughs> it's a different type of democracy. Yeah. Well, Monday night is the uh, is the beginning of Purim. Uh, school is in session or do kids parade uh, in their costumes at school? How does that work? Uh, so today they had a shortened school day, which included all the parading and costuming. And that now they will be off for three days. Or, and somehow in Israel, it's become a three days off school holiday. So, yeah, they'll be off now for three days and they'll go back on Thursday. <laughs> That's interesting. That well, it's good. Oh, you know, kids always need a break uh, from school. Kids need a break, and apparently, teachers need a break too. Uh, anything else you want to share today? Um, just that everybody should have a happy and healthy and safe Purim. Not too much celebrating. Um, yeah, that's good. We'll speak again. Well, thank you, thank you, Liz, and thank you everybody for listening to. Israel Rebound, a, a podcast really exploring the ties that bind us around the world to Israel. Uh, have a great week and happy Purim. <laughs>